I'd, write, I'd like to have you turn, if you will, to uh, Isaiah 17. And uh, I want to mention that uh, we were going to begin our study tonight in, in the book of Hosea. But don't be too sad, we'll start next week, because we haven't started yet, so we're not quite there. But I had a tremendous burden this weekend, as well as uh, the last couple of days leading up to tonight. I, I mean, I have everything ready for Hosea. It was really my, my whole intention was, you know, start that uh, wonderful book. And, um, of course, have an introduction into it. But uh, I just had this tremendous burden, and I know it was the Lord to want to deal with the events that are taking place in Syria. And so I thought this to be a good time to have a prophecy update on what's going on in the world today, uh, especially as it pertains to Syria, Russia, Iran, uh, Turkey, the United States, because all of these are major players in what's going on. And depending on what news source you use, and I, I have to say that because not all news sources are good news sources um, and, and, and don't give you really a full accounting of what's going on. And if they try to give you one, they try to do it from their own perspective and not in a very uh, objective way. But uh, the important thing that we need to focus our attention upon tonight is the very fact that Every one of these nations that I just mentioned, as well as many others, are all mentioned in scriptures pertaining to uh, the days and times in which we live. And it's an awakening for sure to anybody that tries to look at things from a world perspective or a political perspective and not take the opportunity to see things from the biblical perspective. Because the things that we see happening today were prophesied thousands of years ago. In fact, if we were just to take Ezekiel alone, which we just finished studying uh, not too long ago, that was 2,500 years ago, or 2,500 plus years ago. So all of the things that he mentioned concerning uh, the Gog and Magog war that's mentioned in Jeremiah, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, actually the rebirth of the nation of Israel in, in Ezekiel 37, the uh, uh, Valley of Dry Bones, in which the bones that were uh, seen by the prophet became alive again, and then they took upon themselves, the bones took on sinew and muscle and actually became a nation. Well, that was the nation of Israel. And if you take time to look at that they came out of the they came out of the ashes of death they came out of the ashes of the holocaust this evening right now as the sun is going down at least here in el paso and everyone in our time zone as it were uh, is the beginning of holocaust remembrance day in israel and this has been something that they've been celebrating all day. They'll celebrate it until the morning hours of, of tomorrow. But it is uh, also one of the reasons why I really had this tremendous burden on my heart to, to deal with this issue concerning Syria because at the same time it concerns the state of Israel and concerns the people that live in Israel and the people that are um, classified as God's people. And that not because they say so, but because God says so. So these, these are, are necessary uh, times for us to be made aware of what is going on on the other side of, uh, on the, other side of the world and, uh, and make sure that, that we take these things seriously 
for the times in which we live are giving us the signs of what is to come. And we'll talk about that along the way, but I'd like to have you uh, look at Isaiah 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, then we'll go to Ezekiel 38 for a moment, and then Zechariah 12, because I want to lay a, a good foundation of Scripture before we uh, get into the study. In Isaiah 17, verses 1 through 5, it says, The burden of Damascus. Now, the mention of Damascus here is of utmost importance because what the burden of Damascus is involves the whole nation of Syria. Damascus, of course, is the capital of Syria. But even though there is all kinds of things going on there today because of something that took place last week and this past weekend, um, it, it, it plays into what is, being, what is being said here that is going to happen, I would say, very, very shortly in, in time. The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. In other words, it's going to be a, a destroyed city. Now, much of the city around Damascus, or much of the cities around the Damascus, the, the um, suburbs, and I'll talk about the main suburb that was attacked this week by the Syrian president, Assad, is an indication of what is going to happen to all of the nation of Syria, not just to Damascus. Notice in verse, uh, well, let me finish reading verse uh, 1. Uh, it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aroer are forsaken. They shall be for flocks, uh, which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So it's, it's saying that all of what is considered city is going to be changed drastically to where eventually flocks will go out and feed on, on what used to be places of, of residence for the people surrounding Damascus. Aroer is something that goes far beyond, beyond uh, I'm sorry, far beyond Syria, actually toward Israel as well. You'll notice it mentioned here in just a moment. Uh, verse 3, the fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. Ephraim is, is, is a name that uh, identifies northern uh, Israel or the northern kingdom of Israel when they were in concert with Syria against the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And these are the things that we can study by looking at the kings and uh, the books of the kings. I don't want to spend a lot of time with that, but I'm just trying to explain where, where we are in all of this. Ephraim would be judged, in fact, Ephraim being uh, the northern kingdom of Israel would be judged by God when he places them under captivity to Assyria, the Assyrian uh, nation. So it goes on and says, In the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria, they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob, that is the southern kingdom of Israel, shall be made thin and the fatness in his flesh shall wax lean. And of course, as I said, Syria at one time had a, an alliance with the northern kingdom of Israel. And even though Syria, uh, the, the Assyrians could not take the southern kingdom, eventually the southern kingdom would fall as well because they became lean. Uh, they weren't as strong as they used to be. And then, of course, they were in sin. Therefore, the Babylonians came and put them in, in, uh, in um, uh, captivity, but the focus of Damascus is only a, a near prophecy to the prophets. The full extent of that prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the last days. So the prophets knew this based on some other scriptures that we'll get to in just a moment. And it shall be as when the harvestman gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim. And then Ezekiel 38, turn there very quickly, verses 1 through 6. And the reason I'm bringing you there is because of the identification of the nations that are today in the news. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince. Now this should actually read Rosh, the prince of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him, 
Rosh is, is really an indication, and we already studied this, so I'm just going to give you the short version, but the indication that it is possibly the nation of Russia, not the Soviet Union. That was a, a time past, previous. Now it is Russia again, and that is significant. So uh, there is some indication then that Russia is involved. The land of Magog involves not just Russia itself, but also Turkey. Turkey, uh, and that we'll see in just a moment as well. Uh, and say, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling, handling swords. Then the first word in verse 5 is Persia, and that is the nation of Iran today. It's also called Elam in the scriptures. Elam is Iran. Iran is a very modern name, by the way. Iran is a very modern name. It still is considered as Persia. And then there is Ethiopia, which is more Sudan than the Ethiopia that we know. And Libya is Libya in northern Africa. Uh, with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma of the north quarters, that would be Turkey right there. Turkey is, uh, encompasses uh, Togarma. Gomer encompasses the, uh, uh, the nations just north, if you will, north and, east, uh, north and west of, of Israel, and all his bands and many people with him. So that's an identification of some of the nations that are already in the news today. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I read this because it also involves the nations of the world against the children of Israel and against the city of Jerusalem, which is in the news as well for the same reasons. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, which is a marker for the last days. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And that's an indication that it is affecting not just the surrounding nations of Israel or the next layer of nations, which includes Rosh or Russia and Turkey and Iran, but all the world, a burdensome, burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So there have been considerable developments of late in the prophetic landscape of the world. Just talking about all of the world in general, but particularly concerning Syria and the nerve gas attacks by Syrian President Bashar al-Assad upon many of his own people in the city of Duma. Duma is a is a suburb of Damascus. And you need to add to this the alliance that we see in, in the news today between Russia, Iran, and Turkey, the very same nations that we say are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. And they are all key players in Ezekiel 38's confederacy against Israel and each having troops on the ground in Syria today. Each of those nations have troops in Syria today. There are Russians in Syria, there are Iranians in Syria, and there are Turks in Syria. Now, Russia, Iran, and Turkey recently, as a matter of fact, as recent as last Wednesday, they had their second summit in Ankara, Turkey, to discuss Syria's future. Th this, this is very um, uh, kind of arrogance building for them. They're, they're, you know, their feathers are puffing up because here they are talking about Syria as if to say, you know, they have the, they have the plans for this one nation that is an enemy, of course, of Israel and certainly an enemy of the United States. But uh, the United States has nothing to do with these negotiations. They're left out of the picture. So they boast in that. 
And so, you know, you, you kind of have to read between the lines when you start reading about, you know, the, the things that they say about what they're planning to do with, with, uh, with their Syrian uh, alliance. Let me just say it right out. The reason why the Russians and the Iranians and the Turks want to be in Syria, and, and the Turks, of course, they, they have their own uh, uh, strategy from where they, they are in Turkey, but uh, this way they kind of have a little bit more surroundings around Israel, is for Israel itself. They are gaining all of this ground so that they can be that close to taking Israel in a war. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, but this is how things are falling into place in Ezekiel 38 for us. They've had this summit. It was uh, uh, Putin or Putin, Rutin, Tutin, Putin, and, uh, and of course, uh, the, uh, er er Erwan, who was the uh, president of Turkey, and, and Rahmani, the, uh, the uh, president of, of, uh, of Iran, or prime minister, or whatever he is. Anyway, they all met, but they had already met once in Sochi, R Russia, last November as well. Now, some of the events of the last few days can only be described as crazy in the sense of how rapidly things are taking place. And by the way, things are starting to take place a lot faster. Uh, there's a reference that Jesus makes actually in the last book of the, of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And he says, I come quickly. Now, we would say, well, Lord, if that's quickly, like you said that 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting for you. <laughs> Uh, that's not what he meant. What he meant was when things start to happen, they're going to happen in a very quick way. We've been waiting for so many things to be happening prophetically for many, many years. Dominoes fall and, the, and, and hit another domino, and sometimes the big dominoes fall, and it takes a little while before it reaches the next. But as time goes, the dominoes get smaller, and so the time goes quicker. We're in that time now where the dominoes are falling much quicker than ever before. And uh, so we see this happening very quickly. This was, this was surprising to some people, how fast all of a sudden there is this international tension, and how focused everybody is on this one event that took place at the end of last week in Syria. There have been tense calls, tense calls between Israel, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and U.S. President Donald Trump in light of President Trump considering taking American troops away from the conflict with Syria. He's thinking about it, hasn't done it, but there, there are tense talks with Israel because Israel says, you get out of here, we're in trouble. That's, that's part of it. We need your help. They're not in complete trouble because Israel has a, a tremendous fighting force as small as they are. In fact, they are known for their air force and they're known for their, 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 their uh, uh, defense forces. Nonetheless, you know, he's talking about it. And sometimes I wonder because, you know, President Trump, when he was campaigning, he would always say, I'm not, I'm not going to be like the other presidents that tell you what we're going to do. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. Here's he, he's kind of telling us what he might do. But I wonder if that's a diversion. I don't know. I mean, you know, because I don't, I don't want to think like he thinks. But anyway, but in, in this particular case, you know, I think it's, it's just a, it's a cat and mouse game in, in politics right now. So anyway, but Netanyahu and Trump are, are, are talking on the phone in light of the Americans moving out of that particular uh, conflict, allowing Israel's enemies to gain a, a further foothold in Syria. This is how Israel sees it. At the same time, President Trump is threatening Moscow with missiles heading towards Syria because of their nerve gas attacks. Now, again, he's threatening Moscow. Why? Because Moscow is, they've got feet on the ground in Syria. And he says, look, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're going to go, we're going to send these tomahawks like they've already done before and destroy, and destroy certain bases that have caused some of these things to happen. Even though, by the way, Israel has already sent two jets 
and they destroyed pinpoint targets of, of, uh, of, of the air bases that sent the helicopter that dropped the nerve gas. They've already destroyed that, that place with, with minimal damage actually to anybody else. But of course, everybody raises you know, their, their condemnation against Israel for doing that. And Israel's just trying to stay alive. That's all they're trying to do. So he's threatening Moscow with missiles heading towards Syria because of their nerve gas attacks, but also for backing the gas-killing animal Assad. I quote, that's what he calls them, the gas-killing animal Assad. Russia, in turn, now threatens a, a retaliation. Sounds like we're getting ready for World War III. I have a quote. I was going to say it earlier, uh, later, but I'll, I'll say it now. Somebody, somebody said recently, you know, we're, we already are in World War III, but the common people just don't know it yet. Well, I'll, I'll mention it again because there's some things I have to say after that. But, but, but this is what's happening in the world today. And, and, and everything is, 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 is seen in real time. I get up in the morning, of course, I want to spend time with the Lord, I wanna, you know, but, but the first thing I hear is, is what's going on in the world? Are, are we still here? I want to make sure, because it's kind of early. Are we still here? And what's happening? What has Israel done this past week? I just kind of mentioned it. They've conducted airstrikes in Syria, shooting down Iranian drones, taking out control towers of certain bases in Syria, and destroying with pinpoint accuracy an Iranian headquarters on a Syrian airbase, killing certain Iranian military officers and troops. Pinpoint accuracy. They have better weapons than we do. Israel also struck, as I said, the air base from which the helicopter dropped the barrel of gas that fell on Duma that killed nearly 80 people. And there are reports that the death toll could surpass 100 civilian casualties. His own people, they're Syrians. They live in Duma. But before we move on to the next domino to drop, we need to consider for a moment why Israel has taken such an aggressive move against Syria because of this gas attack. We need to consider why they made the move. Primarily because, and listen carefully, primarily because gas and chemical weapons are unacceptable to a people whose country was reborn from the ashes of the Holocaust furnaces and gas chambers. That's Israel. And every, as every Israeli and Jew is possibly saying today, Israel cannot sit by and do nothing. There were so many people that sat by and did nothing when Hitler was gathering together the Jews to exterminate a whole race of people. And so they struck quickly, and they struck precisely, knowing also that every, every nation that is there supporting Syria is an enemy of Israel, and they know exactly why they're there. So the question is why? Why is Assad attacking his own people? Well, there's a battle that is taking place in that city of Duma. As I said, a suburb of Damascus with a population of about 150,000 civilian citizens. The Army of Islam, which is Sunni-based, uh, uh, the Army of Islam are, are Saudi-backed Syrian rebels. They're rebels against Assad and the regime that rules Syria. So they're rebels. They would, they would be like, you know, the Revolutionary War, the Americans that fought against the British. You know, the, the British were the ones that controlled everything. And, and so that, that's just a, a, an example for, for you to understand. But, but this army of Islam is supported by Saudi Arabia. Keep that in mind. 
So the army of Islam are Saudi-backed Syrian rebels that were well entrenched in that area of Duma. We were moving toward the palace because the palace is very close, the palace of Assad. So the advancement of Assad's Russian-Iranian-supported Syrian army, notice the difference, to get rid of that pocket of rebels, the advancement of the Syrian army was just not fast enough for Assad. It was just too slow. They weren't getting those rebels out. They weren't taking them out. The rebels were gaining more and more of a foothold there in Duma. And it would take months or even years, not to mention thousands of casualties. And so Assad chose the easiest path. He chose to gas them once, and they'll give up. That was his plan. Hit them with nerve gas once, and they'll give up. And that is exactly what happened. I read an Israeli uh, news uh, source today, and it had that very same story, that the rebels in Duma had to give up because of that gas attack. He gassed them, and they gave up. And Assad, by the way, is, is, is well aware that the Russians with Putin and the Iranians with Rouhani would cover up for him. They would cover up, they'd back him up in all of the things that he would do. And you would say, well, where's the world? Where, where's the United Nations? Where's the condemnations? Do you, do you hear anything about it? It's, it's hard to find, you know, they're, they're, it's there. But it's not like when Israel does something and, and the United Nations front page New York Times, you know, the great New York Times. You know, they, they, they'll put an Israel condemned because of airstrikes. But Syria gasses their own people. Haven't heard much, have we? But there is some condemnation. You have to look for it. There is some condemnation. And it certainly comes first and foremost from the United States. And even a little bit from the United Nations, but that would, that's about it. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. You all know who she is? You should know. She would offer a strong condemnation on behalf of our country against this, this gas attack. But the irony is that while there will be articles written in the UN website, which I read today as well, strongly condemning, or, or not really condemning, strongly criticizing Syria for their chemical attacks, Syria, the, the Syrian representatives in the United Nations continue on as active members of the United Nations, even to the point of leading some of the various committees within that organization. In effect, they're not even getting a slap on the wrist. So the condemnations are all talk, but no real actions. Why? Because of Russia, because of Iran, and Turkey being in Syria. So the real target in the end will always be the state of Israel. The real target in the end will be the state of Israel and without any questions, the Russians and of course the Iranians and the Turks are angry with Israel. They're angry with them and they have been for, for many years. The Iranians more than the others, but nonetheless, they're angry with Israel. There is no question that they would want very much for Israel to go the way of the sea, that is, being driven into the Mediterranean Sea. This has been the desire of the Arab nations for many years. As a matter of fact, that was the desire of um, uh, Abdul Nasser, who was the president of, of uh, Egypt at one time, the head of the Arab uh, nations uh, the, that were put together uh, in the, back in the 50s against Israel 
more than anything, they were against Israel. And he vowed, as many others did, uh, to drive Israel into the sea. We've talked about many times the, uh, uh, the Palestinians and their hatred of Israel. Uh, they, they, they actually make maps. They have maps that they teach in their schools. There is no Israel. And it's not just in the Palestinian occupied areas. It's in many of the Arab nations will take those maps to teach their kids there's no Israel because there is an Israel, and Israel belongs to God. And their biggest fight is not just with Israel, but their biggest fight is with Israel's God, as we'll see in just a moment. So they want very much for Israel to be driven into the Mediterranean Sea to no longer exist as a thorn in the side of the collective world that hates it for its continued existence. Now, there are a lot of people today that are joining with Israel in remembrance of the Holocaust. There are. Because there's a lot of people that have consciences. So we can't say that everybody on the, on the planet hates Israel. But many on the planet don't understand Israel because they don't understand Israel's God. So they look at things from a humanitarian sense more than really just in a spiritual sense. That can always turn as well. So it has prospered far beyond any of the world's expectations. Israel, where was it before the 40s? Where was Israel before the turn of the century? The turn of the century? They weren't in the land. The land was completely desolate at the turn of the uh, 20th century. Jews lived in every other part of the world. But there, there was in the heart of every Jew a love for their nation, a desire for their nation to be one again, for there to be a nation. Now, one of the, one of the factors that, uh, uh, that brings some sense of, of uh, hatred toward the Jewish people is the misunderstanding of the world toward what is called Zionism. Zionism simply back, uh, it existed long before the, the 19th century, but the 19th century saw this, this, this swell of many European Jews to desire to go back to the land of Israel and actually see if they could reclaim the land uh, by either buying portions of the land. Uh, many of them were very wealthy. In fact, there were some that were extremely wealthy and did buy some of the land of Israel back. But um, all that said, the fact is Zionism was just the desire of, the, of the, the, the Jewish people to want a homeland again where they were promised a homeland by God from the scriptures. And that's all they wanted. So there was no Israel for thousands of years, except wherever the Jewish people were scattered. Like the, like the Lord said they would be scattered until he said, but one day they will be rising up and they will become a nation again. How interesting that after World War II, not long after World War II, just three years, after World War II, would a nation rise out of the ashes of the Holocaust, revive a 2,000-year-old language, and become then, once again, a people that are prophesied in the scriptures. So 
It has prospered far beyond any of the world's expectations, and that not by themselves, by God's hand. By God's hand. Is it any wonder why there is such animosity against them by their neighbors? See, it doesn't just, it isn't just the Jews. It's the God of the Jews. And I prove, I'll prove it to you by the word of God. Turn to Psalm 83. Now, most of you know when, when we studied uh, Ezekiel that I did a portion of study through Psalm 83 dealing with the Psalm 83 war that I believe is still yet to happen. And it would happen right before the Ezekiel 38 war because of the, the it's, it's really almost like it would happen the day after. It would be like boom, boom, that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't want to go into the details of that war, but let's just look at, look at what it says in Psalm 83, verses 1 through 5. First of all, the psalmist says to the Lord, and by the way, the psalmist is Asaph, and he says, Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. In other words, Lord, be stirred up to say something about what is pre pre preparing to be happening to your people, Israel. He says, for lo, thine enemies make a tumult. In other words, they're making a big deal about something. And they that hate thee, notice that phrase, they that hate thee. It's first and foremost saying it is a hatred toward the God of Israel. They that hate thee have lifted up the head. The lifting up the, of the head in Scripture is, is, is not always the same as when Jesus says, lift up your head. Lift up your head is to say you have confidence in looking toward God for what is yet to come. But, but in, in the context of what is being said here, they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They've lifted up their head in anger against God. They've stiffened their neck against God, the God of Israel. And so this is what, this is what the text is, is uh, the, the context of the text is. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people. Crafty counsel has involved everything that we've been seeing happen to Israel since 1948. May 15 is the day after Israeli independence, or at least the founding of the nation. May 14 is coming up, uh, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, May 14 is the, is the uh, 70th, uh, 70th anniversary of the state of Israel. May 15, Israel is already defending themselves for their existence the very next day. The crafty counsel that is being spoken of here against the, thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones, those that have been protected by God, has been from the very beginning. The hatred against the God of Israel. Notice what it says in verse 4. They have, they have said, come, and let us cut them off from being a nation. 1948, they started uh, fighting for their existence. In 1952, there had a, 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 a some, some conflicts. 1956, there was, there was a, another a skirmish, another war, uh, the Arabs coming against Israel. Uh, and, uh, then there was 1967, the, the Six-Day War. Um, 1973, the Yom Kippur War. Uh, and then there was the Intifada in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, these are all attacks on the nation of Israel to destroy Israel. So it says they have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. The psalmist says to God, they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. That is against God, not just Israel. Not just the Jewish people. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they have consulted against. And so that is 
the very basis of this hatred that we see happening in the world today against the Jewish people and against Israel. Going back to Ezekiel 38 again, verses 1 through 6, I, we don't have to look at every verse. Uh, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. As I mentioned, the land of Magog, being all the northern, all the countries lying north of Israel, what used to be the, the southern part of the Soviet Union, and they became Confederate states after um, Russia, uh, well, actually, actually after the Soviet Union disbanded, and then Russia became uh, its own nation, and all the other nations had became independent nations. Uh, but many of those nations that end in S-T-A-N, like uh, Turkestan and, and uh, Afghanistan, even though Afghanistan was not part of that uh, group, but nonetheless, those are Muslim, mostly Muslim nations. And so all of those lie north of Israel. Well, there's no love for Israel in any of those nations. And that's why I'm just mentioning this. Then there's the chief prince, which is Rosh, which again gives indication that this is probably Russia. Uh, then it says, Behold, I'm against thee, O Gog. This is God speaking, uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. I'll bring thee forth, and so on and so forth. Let's go to verse 5, Persia. And once again, that's Iran. And verse 6, Gomer, Togarma, that is Turkey, for the most part. So those are the nations then that are in the Ezekiel 38 scenario and war that is, that is preparing to happen. Now, you need to add to these alliances the rest of the world, as we said earlier. So if you look at Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. It is important to note that the God of Israel is the God who created all things. It is the, he is the God who laid the foundations of the earth. He's the God who forms the spirit of man within him. He's the God that everybody in the world hates. So he says in verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. The epicenter of everything happening in the world today, prophetically, biblically, and otherwise, is Jerusalem. Donald Trump makes this declaration. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. He supports Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. People in Israel rejoice. They love Donald Trump now, big time. They do, because of that one statement that he did. Everybody in the United States, well, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people in the United States, that probably would have said, that was really the good thing to do nonetheless found something wrong with him saying it because they really don't like him so they don't you know they don't want to give him any any room for having accomplished something good but whatever he said in that he's the only one to have followed through every other president before him has said oh yes Jerusalem we're gonna we're gonna move our embassy never did Donald Trump is getting ready to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. There's something about that that we need to take note of. God is in the middle of that. God is in the middle of that. Somebody once likened uh, Donald Trump to either Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus. Both were pagan kings that actually at one time, even though uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar oppressed Israel, uh, came to acknowledge the God of Israel, and then Cyrus as well uh, was uh, a pagan king, but he acknowledged Israel. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump is Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, but, but see, you have to understand, God is the one in control. We had eight years of a president previous to Donald Trump who made all kinds of deals with Iran. 
deals that right now are hurting Israel and the United States. I don't know how you can give over a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars to a nation by night. As a matter of fact, there was money given by night on carriers, uh, on, on, on cargo planes, something uh, to, the, uh, to the effect of $500 million given to Iran. That was your tax pay, pay that was your taxes and mine. <laughs> Give, give me some understanding here. <laughs> what happened there? What was all that about? You might say, well, why are you getting so political? I'm not. Who's the enemy of Israel today? I don't have to tell you. We've already mentioned them a number of times. So it's, it pains us to see this happen. So. This is, this is working its way to something I'm going to say in just a minute about the United States and about the United States in prophecy or not in prophecy. Nonetheless, we go on and read here in Zechariah. It says in verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in, in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Jesus talks about those kinds of sieges that are going to take place in Jerusalem. When he, when he speaks in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark chapter 13. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. That means the whole world. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. The burden themselves would be to say, we're going to go and divide this city up. American presidents have said that. We need to divide the city up. God said, don't mess with my city. It's my city. I've put my name on it. You mess with it, I'm going to divide you. We live in a divided nation today, partly because of that reason. Partly because we decided that at some time in the past, you know, we, we, uh, We think that we, we, we need to divide up the city of Jerusalem. Give it to, give, give some to the Palestinians, you know. I think, I think we've learned one thing, that the Palestinians don't want peace. The Palestinians do not want peace. The Palestinians only want, they want Israel. They want the whole land for themselves. And they want the, they want the Jews out. If you, if you understand, their politics, that's exactly what they want. And God says, I will cut them in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against us. No matter how many people are going to come against Israel, God is going to stand against those people. Which is why the Psalm 83 war and the Ezekiel 38 war are not long wars, because it is God who fights the battles for them. I mentioned the other domino to fall in the last day scenario, where all the pieces are falling into place. Well, while the Russian-Iranian-Turkish alliance is boasting of their control of Syria's future without the U.S., highlighting how irrelevant U.S. policy toward the region has become, while President Trump keeps announcing that he wants to withdraw from Syria, Trump has asked Saudi Arabia, which is very interested in keeping one of its arch enemies, Iran, out of Syria, He's asked them to contribute $4 billion toward re reconstruction and st stabilization efforts that the U.S. no longer plans to undertake. That was reported in the Times of Israel. So interestingly enough, the Saudi King Salman and, and the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, which means Mohammed son of Salman, have become close acquaintances of President Trump. As a matter of fact, they've been in the White House recently. And they've actually been quoted this was in the news not long ago. Well, in certain news, because others wouldn't, wouldn't put this in. But this was in the news, that they have actually been quoted as saying that Israel has the right to exist. Uh, that's, that's, wow. I, I mean, really, it's a wow. It's one of those wow things. Well, that's how much they hate. That's how much they hate Iran. 
And so never let it be said that the maxim, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, is not somewhat true here, right? But this brings us back to Ezekiel 38, but verse 13. And we talked about this extensively when we studied Ezekiel 38. Verse 13 says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? That is, say to Gog, Gog and, and, and Magog and all of those countries against Israel, say to them, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Notice that they don't stand against the armies of Gog. They just ask a question. Did you come to take a spoil? Has, you, has thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle? Did you just come, are you just coming to defeat Israel so you can take what they themselves have accumulated? That's all, that's all old thinking of all nations in, in, in ancient uh, history that every time they took a nation, they would take all of the spoils of that nation and it would be theirs. We're the rich ones now, you're the slaves. And what are they doing with Israel? Well, first of all, understand this. That all of this would be a response of Saudi Arabia because <clears throat> Sheba and Dedan is the region of Saudi Arabia in the scriptures. This would be the response of Saudi Arabia, Great Britain, which are the merchants of Tarshish, and the United States that are considered, this is about the only place that we can consider that we might be able to see America in the scriptures. And that is as the young lions that are mentioned there, the young lions that came out of Tarshish, Great Britain, and Spain, by the way, because Spain also had its claim here in this, well, think of, uh, you know, the Spanish Armadas and all of that before Britain. So the United States would be the young lions. So this would be the response of the Saudis, the Brits, and, and the United States to the imminent attack on Israel by this evil alliance. A response that is yet to happen, but one that shows the weakness of a nation that has been considered the most powerful in its short history, that is the United States. Other than this passage, there is no scripture that would even hint of America in prophecy. And still, there's a purpose for us. I truly believe there's a purpose for this nation, at least geopolitically, and that presently. President Trump not giving much away except for the possible missile launches against Assad Syria military strongholds has now deployed a number of naval vessels into the Mediterranean region, and in particular, off Syrian territorial waters. I mean, you have the USS Harry S. Truman Carrier Strike Group, USS Donald Cook, USS Arleigh Burke, the USS Bulkley, uh, USS Forrest Sherman, uh, USS Farragut, and the USS Normandy, and two other destroyers are going to join them later. That's right now. That's what's going there now. So this is a good reminder of something that Jesus warned would be a sign of the last days. Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now, folks, I'm telling you that that's how we need to be right now as believers in Jesus Christ. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. These things have to come to pass. What's happening in the world today, this very minute, is happening because God has set the plan already in motion. He is in control of these things. Not that he's in control of the evil. No, but he has seized the evil. He's seen the beginning from the end. And by the way, to see the beginning from the end is to say, I've seen the end as well. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. He says all these are just the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. We're, we're beginning to see the beginning. 
And it's happening just like the Word of God says. The sorrows are going to happen in the seven years of tribulation. And I will tell you this, the church of Jesus Christ will not see those seven years here. We'll see it from another perspective. And so I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you better know him now and be a part of when Jesus comes, a part of John 14, where it says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. I said earlier that World War III is already taking place, but common people just don't know it yet. <laughs> Sadly, so many people are more worried about, hey, look at what people are worried about today. Instead of the fact that we're in the middle of all of this war and conflict, more people are worried today about Facebook and gun control, gender choices, I read today about a, a lawsuit about value meals in you know, McDonald's. I, I, didn't even, I, I didn't read on, I didn't want to waste my time, but I just thought value meal lawsuits. People are worried about the Kardashians. They're worried about the latest Avengers or Star Wars movies. Some people are worried about where LeBron James will play basketball next season. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ad nauseum. Rather than knowing that the time for the Lord's return is nearer than anyone thinks. Folks, the stage is being set for the coming of the Antichrist and the false prophet. But there's still some restraining taking place. The very fact that we as the Church of Jesus Christ, we as the body of Christ, are still here, filled with the Holy Spirit, is a restraining that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians. And to some degree, this nation, in spite of where it will end up prophetically, is having an effect on the world scene as long as the Lord would have us. But there is one nation for sure that will have God's hand upon it, and it is the nation of Israel. As I said earlier, we're in the cusp of the 70th anniversary of the rebirth of the state of Israel, May the 14, 1948. 70 years, 70 years. I say that that is not a coincidence. That it is not uh, a coincidence whatsoever that this year is the 70th year. Because Psalm 90 tells us the length of a lifespan, but that lifespan is also considered a biblical generation. Psalm 90 verse 7 says, For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years, look at verse 10. The days of our years are three score years and 10. Three score, a score is 20 years. So three score years and 10 is 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they be four score years, might be 80 years, maybe just a few more years for some. But three score years and 10, that is our years. That is a generation according to the scriptures. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So there is one truth that we don't want to overlook here. And that truth is this, that the Lord loves his people and the Lord will honor his covenant to Israel in spite of all, of the, uh, all that they've done because God is faithful to keep his covenant. And the people will come around. Paul says in the book of Romans, all Israel shall be saved. But 
we have to understand what he means by that. In Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37, it says, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Notice this. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, if the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the lights thereof depart from before God, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. I can assure you of one thing, Lord willing, <laughs> tomorrow morning the sun will rise again. If we go out and the night is kind of clear, you might even see a star. And you'll see stars tomorrow night if the Lord doesn't come tomorrow night or tonight. They're going to be there, which means so will Israel. Israel will be there. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. But why does he say this? Because heaven cannot be measured and the seas cannot be searched out. The foundations of the earth searched out cannot, it just cannot be. Nobody has ever gone to the very core of the, of the middle of, the, of this planet. It can't be done. So it is high time to be ready for the Lord's return. It is time to consider eternity. I'll leave you with a few scriptures tonight. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. By the way, each of these passages, the verses are 11 through 14. 11 through 14. 11 through 14. Good thing to remember. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I, I really trust that, that Paul not only wrote this for the Romans then, but for us now. Know the time. Know the time that you're living in. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. In other words, let's quit walking in the darkness. Let's start living in the light of the glory of God and of Christ. Let us walk honestly, in other words, as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. Chambering, chambering and wantonness is just sexual immorality and, and, and sensuality. Not in strife and in envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice what, what we're supposed to be doing before Jesus comes. How do we know that that's before Jesus comes? Because look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Why do people join churches sometimes? In some cases, they join certain churches because in some churches, they don't teach the word of God. In some churches, they just teach nice things, make you feel good, feel good places. I don't know about you, but I, I feel good doing one thing, and that is honoring the God that created us in his image and worshiping, worshiping him in spirit and in truth and in believing and trusting in everything that he has given us in his word and his word, and then to love one another as he has loved us. That brings joy to my heart. I don't know about you. I don't know why we have to go hide in some place because, well, we, you know, I, and, and listen, I've, I've said this before. I've gone to churches and places uh, out, of, out of town, you know, and I go to a church. I'm the only one carrying the Bible. And I don't mean that everybody else, you know, <laughs> but 
but, you know, I, but I don't mean that they, you know, they don't pull out their, you know, their tablets or their phones or whatever. No, they don't even do that. There's no Bible. That's sad. So, 2 Peter 3, we'll finish with this. Verses 11 through 14. Okay. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What things? Heaven. Heavens are, are going to dissolve. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. The earth itself is going to be destroyed. Right? And so what does he say? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be? In all holy con uh, uh, conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. In other words, again, we're waiting for the Lord to come. What should we be doing? We should be living in all holy conversation and godliness. Holy conversation is just holy conduct. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. We don't look for Antichrist, we look for Jesus Christ. Looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That is being ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. The things that we talked about in this study tonight, in this prophecy update, <sighs> thanks, thank you for bearing with me because I, I, it was a compilation of a lot of stuff that I was reading and, and, and listening to and absorbing and trying to make sure that I, I shared these things properly and rightly to you. But the most important thing is this is that this is the, the world in which we are here living in. We're not of the world, Jesus said. We are in the world, not of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, then how should we then be living until the day of Christ? That's what we need to focus our attention upon. That's what we need to be doing. And rejoicing, by the way. We rejoice in the Lord. We, we love him. We, we, can't, we can't worship him enough. You know. So let's love the Lord. And let's love one another. And let the light of the glory of Christ shine in you and through you and with you.